0: Start at Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12 is where we'll start this morning. Um, We'll get to Hebrews chapter 3 in just a little bit. Um, Hope you are well. I missed you guys last week. Uh, I was at Tombaugh Bible Church uh, raising some support um, for Camp Blessing Texas, uh, which is an organization that we'll hear about um, for the next two or three weeks as we raise some support uh, and some money here um, for them. Um, but I was over there, I had a good time. Uh, Matt Fox, my good friend, was here with you guys preaching uh, about the Lazarus story, um, where Jesus mourns and, and raises Lazarus from the dead. Uh, but missed you guys, glad to be back. Uh, we will jump back into our Hebrew series, and so if you have not been with us, we are walking through the book of Hebrews, um, line by line, verse by verse, um, just as a way of Uh, Acknowledging that the scriptures hold everything that we need for life and for worship and for obedience to Christ and to God And so what we do as a church very often is is we just walk through a book of the Bible um, Very rhythmically, systematically, uh, looking at what the scriptures would tell us about Jesus and about who we are Um, So this morning we'll be in Hebrews 3 Um, As we start uh, chapter 3 in Hebrews Uh, But the passage we'll be in is really a commentary Or a mini-sermon on a verse from the Old Testament Uh, So I want to take us to Numbers 12 uh, To do a little bit of background And to get us ready um, to jump over to Hebrews chapter 3 So Numbers 12, if you are there uh, We'll pick it up in verse 1 Numbers 12, verse 1 Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses Because of the Cushite woman whom he had married For he had married a Cushite woman, and they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent, and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. Okay, you've got three characters here. Uh, You have um, brothers and sisters, Miriam, Aaron, and Moses. And so some of us are probably familiar with Moses, maybe not so much Aaron and Miriam. Um, Moses uh, was an Israelite raised in Egypt, and so um, when he was a baby when he was born, the Egyptian pharaoh put out the decree uh, to kill all firstborns, so he got floated down the river, Um, grew up in the Egyptian royal house when he was an adult, saw an Israelite getting harassed, Um, by an Egyptian, and killed the Egyptian uh, with his bare hands, which is awesome. Uh, So he is a man's man. He killed the Egyptian, and then he fled. Uh, He went to Midian, um, where he shepherded, uh, where he became a shepherd and and also got a wife. Uh, It was at that time that he was out in the middle of nowhere. A burning bush uh, appeared to him. God spoke to him, said, hey, you're going to go bring my people out of Egypt. You're going to go talk to the most powerful man in the world and tell him to let uh, his slaves go. And so he does. He walks them through uh, the Red Sea, the Exodus. Uh, He goes up on the mountain after that and brings the law to his people. Uh, He leads them patiently towards the promised land. Um, So this is Moses here. And he's with his brothers and sisters, uh, Miriam and Aaron. Aaron is his older brother, about three years older than him. And Aaron is the first high priest. So he's the first um, man that was appointed by God to stand between God and men and to bring sacrifices for sins uh, and and do priestly things like that. Miriam was uh, Aaron and Moses' older sister uh, who was a prophetess. And if you look in Exodus 15, right after they crossed the Red Sea, um, the the Israelites are are singing songs of worship to God. And Miriam leads one of the songs. She um, brings out some women and she has a tambourine and she sings one of these powerful um, songs of worship right after God delivers them. And so you've got uh, Miriam, Aaron, and Moses Uh, And you've got some ancient, ancient drama happening here. You've got some sibling um, conflict happening. So Miriam and Aaron, they start speaking against Moses. Uh, They start grumbling against him. They start critiquing him. Uh, And so they begin by by pointing out the fact that he had married a Cushite woman. Uh, And so we don't know exactly what they're talking about here. It could be that this Cushite woman is his wife that he got in Midian. Uh, It could be that he got another wife. Cushite um, women often had darker skin So it could be they were pointing out um, Ethnicity and kind of grumbling about him for that um, But like usual um, Something gets brought up to attention and, and really usually the real problem lies behind that um, So we get to the real problem here They're grumbling against Moses They're speaking against him They bring up this, this wife that he's married But then they get to the, the real issue And they start questioning it Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? So they're jealous of his authority I mean, they're jealous of his position as God's prophet, the one whom God comes to, talks to, and then who relays that message to his people. And they're wondering, what, what makes Moses so different from us? Aaron goes, hasn't, hasn't God spoken through me too? Wasn't I there with Moses speaking to Pharaoh? Miriam goes, didn't I lead the worship song? I mean, has God not spoken to us also? And the, the text says that Moses was a meek man, that he was humble, um, Now, interestingly enough, it says he was the the most humble man on the face of the earth. Well, tradition has it that Moses actually wrote this. Um, So, you can think about that just a little bit. Um, I don't know what you should do with that. Uh, But it says he was a meek man who was humble. Um, And I, I really think, I mean, if we're... Humility comes out of understanding your own limitations. And Moses was a man who over and over and over and over again realized that he wasn't good enough. He wasn't enough. He was a murderer. He grew up in a family as a pretender. Um, When God calls to him and says, hey, you're going to speak to Pharaoh, what does Moses say? I can't talk. I stutter. I can't even speak. How am I going to speak to Pharaoh? How am I going to be your mouthpiece? So Moses, over and over and over and over again in his life, is confronted with the fact that he is very limited and this creates in him a meekness. And, and so Miriam and Aaron uh, are speaking out against him. They're critiquing him. They're starting up this conflict. Uh, and Moses, as a meek man, doesn't actually defend himself. And so if you, you read the story, this very interesting Notice he doesn't, he doesn't go to his defense, go to his aid. He lets God come to his defense, um, which I think is, is a, a great principle for you and I. And in verse 5, um, God comes down. He calls Miriam and Aaron together. And he, he says this in verse 6. He said, The Lord said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. And he departed. So what does God say here? He says, Hey, there's something that separates Moses from everybody else that I speak through. God says, if I, Normally, if I, if I want to go to a prophet, give him a message, and let him relay that message to the people, I do it through a dream or a vision. I do it through a riddle. I, I water it down somehow, and he interprets it and relays it. But he says, With Moses, it's completely different. He says, With Moses, I speak mouth to mouth, face to face, with Moses, I'm clear. I let Moses look at me. I let him come into my presence. This is Moses has this unparalleled status among my people. And look at verse 7 here because this is going to be the key verse for us. God says not so, not like the other prophets, not like Miriam and Aaron with my servant Moses, he is faithful in all my house. Okay, these three words you need to um, look at and remember, maybe circle them, underline them. Uh, The Hebrews 3 passage we'll be looking at, we'll use all three of these words um, to talk about Jesus uh, in a, uh, a, a passionate and powerful way. He says, not so with my servant Moses. So Moses is seen as God's servant here, the one who does God's will. He is faithful. Servant. He's faithful, he's obedient, he does what I've asked him to do, and he's faithful in all my house, he's faithful in in my purposes. And so Moses, he was a faithful servant um, who accomplished God's will and, and, and did his purposes for Moses in the world. Um, he was a servant, he was faithful, and he did it in God's house. Um, this is a, a way of talking about God's purposes in the world. So in, in Genesis 39, Joseph rises to power in Egypt, uh, gets to second in command, and Pharaoh does what? He puts him in charge of his house. He says, hey, take care of, of my purposes, take care of what I'm doing, you be in charge. So this is the picture of Moses um, here in this story, and, and really in his life. God comes to Moses and says, through you, I'm leading my people out of Egypt. I'm redeeming them. I'm rescuing them. Through you, I'm giving them the law. I'm giving them instructions for life. I'm giving them the way that they live as my people. Through you, I'm guiding them to the promised land. And then in verse 7, which Hebrews 3 is really just going to be a commentary on verse 7 here. He gives Moses this, this glorious position. He is faithful in all my house, my servant, the one who does my will. Now, I mean, just remember who Moses is here. Like eventually, you and I are going to have to get over the idea that, that God can't love us or that he can't use us. Moses is a murderer. With his physical bare hands, he killed somebody. If you read the scriptures, God seems to have this thing for murderers. Like, it seems to be one of his favorite people groups to use in powerful positions in his purposes. Moses can't speak. And, and really, if you read the story, often Moses isn't that faithful. Often Moses is questioning. Often Moses is disobeying. But God looks down at him and says, you are faithful. You are my servant. You, I have called. At some point as we read through the scriptures, we've got to understand that no matter what we're dealing with, no matter who we are, God still loves us and he still wants to use us. We've got to get rid of the excuse of, well, not me. Not me with my past, not me with what I'm struggling with. But he looks down at Moses and says, you're my servant. You are faithful in all of my house. And now the Jews, um, those of the Jewish tradition and faith started to venerate Moses. They held him up as this great, great man. The one who brought God's salvation. The one who gave them the law. Uh, We've said this often, the Exodus. So being slaves in Egypt and then being brought out into freedom as God's people was the salvation story for the Israelites. So when we think of salvation, we think of the cross. Jesus dying on a cross. For the the Israelites, for the Jewish people, it was was the Exodus. Now, who was the most important figure in the Exodus? Who was the man that God used to accomplish this? redemption, his rescue, it was Moses. It's hard to exaggerate the status that Moses had in the Jewish faith. There are texts in in certain traditions that that talk about Moses getting a throne, a heavenly throne that no one else gets. Um, So almost an intermediary between God and man. He's elevated to a special status. And as we jump to Hebrews 3, so if you have your Bible, let's jump from Numbers 12. Remember verse 7 here not so with my servant, he is faithful in all my house, we'll jump to Hebrews 3, and we'll find the author of Hebrews wanting to make a comparison between Jesus and Moses um, based off of this verse here. If you've been walking with us through Hebrews, um, you've seen that he has uh, over and over again said that Jesus is better than the angels, he's better than the angels, he's better than the angels. And so if, if angels are important and you have to listen to what the angels say, then how much more important is Jesus and his message? And now in chapter 3, he's going to transition and start talking about Moses. And to some, this seems a little anticlimactic. Jesus is better than these heavenly beings. I think he's better than some man who lived so long ago. But you've got to remember, keep it in your minds, to the Jewish people, Moses was oftentimes much higher than an angel. He was elevated, exalted. And the text is going to compare and contrast Jesus... With Moses, this man who God raised up to accomplish his will. So we'll pick it up. Hebrews 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. Sound familiar? Yeah, this is is very much like Numbers 12.7 here. He he gives us a command. He says, consider Jesus. Think about Jesus. Evaluate Him. Understand Him. Put His work in your mind. And then he talks about this confession that we have about Jesus. Um, Confession in this sense, uh, we use the word confession to, like if I were to confess to you, typically I'd be telling you something I did wrong. Um, I I lied, I said this, I shouldn't have said this, I did this, I shouldn't have done this. Um, But that's a more basic meaning. Confession simply means to agree with something, um, to align yourself with something. Um, And he says, our confession is this, our faith, I mean, our trust is this, that Jesus, and and then he gives them two titles here. He calls them an apostle, the apostle, and the high priest. He says our our faith um, is grounded... Or Jesus, likewise, was, was faithful to his God-given role. So, so first he, he compares him to Moses here, right? He says, just like Moses was faithful, so Jesus was faithful um, to uh, the role that God had given him. And then he says, our faith, our confession, it's grounded in the truths that one, Jesus was sent from God, and two, that he atoned for our sins. This word apostle um, just means one who's sent, one who's sent from God. It's a messenger uh, of God. And it's actually the only time in the New Testament you'll see Jesus called an apostle. Normally, the disciples or early Christian leaders are called apostles. So we call Paul an apostle. He's one who was sent from God. He had a message um, to declare to the people. Well, here Jesus is called the apostle, the messenger, the one sent from God. We saw in Hebrews 1, God is speaking. Uh, He has been speaking to creation for ages and ages and ages. And in his son, in Jesus, he delivers this final, ultimate message. Jesus comes with a message of who God is, of the mess that we've made of our lives, of his redemption, rescue for us. He's the apostle, the one sent from God. And then he's our high priest. He's the one who has been appointed by God to stand between us and God, to atone for our sins. We, we saw, in, if you look up in, in chapter 2, verse 17, we saw this idea of high priest two weeks ago, um, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest on the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. As so we, we talked about this word propitiation, what it means. It, it means to um, make an atoning sacrifice. The idea here is that Jesus, on the cross, absorbed the wrath toward our sins. <clears throat> So you and I have sinned, we've fallen, and death, punishment, is a natural outworking, is coming because of that God's wrath. And what happens on the cross is Jesus absorbs that. He takes on the cost of that. He takes on the punishment of that so that it doesn't get to us. This wrath, this punishment is coming toward us and he steps in front and absorbs it. He's our high priest. As we keep reading through Hebrews, we'll find out he intercedes for us he stands next to the Father and whispers in his ear, saying, I've purchased him. I've redeemed him. There's no more wrath towards him. I absorbed it on the cross. He's saying, this is our confession. And, and so he starts out this passage by saying, consider this. Think about this. Have this in your mind. Our apostle, the one sent from God, our high priest, our confession, our faith. This is what we believe. and its most basic, this is what it means to be a Christian. means at some point in our lives for whatever reason maybe through friends or through tragedy or through intellectual reasons but at some point we arrived at this place where we said we agreed with the truth of scripture we confessed that jesus died for us that he was sent from god that what was happening on the cross was he was absorbing the punishment for our sins that He was meeting our deepest needs, and that in Him and through His death, God was fulfilling His promises to creation, promises to rescue and redeem and restore, promises to recreate. This is, and, and when we confess this, when, we're, when we start believing, when we put our faith in this, we, we, we get this title, Holy Brothers. Therefore, Holy Brothers, we're, we're spotless, we're clean. We're made part of a, a community. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's most basic. It's holding this confession, holding this faith, that no matter what comes, we believe at the core of ourselves that He's our high priest, that He's our apostle. And so for for me, I mean, I'm a high schooler struggling with depression and sickness and all these things, and and down a dark, um, bottomless road, I, I come to the realization that He died on a cross. That he's been exalted by God, and, and so I confess that. And no matter what's happened in the past five or six years, no matter the hard things that have come, no matter my failings, no matter the distractions around me, this confession has stuck with me. This faith that despite everything around me, at the core of who I am, this is what I believe. He's saying, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him. Just as Moses was, just as Moses was faithful to what God had called him to do, go speak to the Pharaoh. Go lead my people out of Egypt. So Jesus hears God's command, hears his mission, and he he faithfully adopts it. He's faithful. Verse three. Um, so he compares Jesus and Moses. He says just as Moses was faithful, so was Jesus. Um, but the comparison can't stop there because Jesus is on a different level than Moses. Um, They're not the same, even though they were both faithful. In verse 3, he says this, For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has, more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. He says, however, Jesus is superior to Moses. While they were both faithful, and, and in this area they uh, compare with each other, Jesus is superior. He says he's been counted worthy of more glory, more honor, more weight. He has a higher status. And, and the analogy he uses here is, is just like um, a builder has more glory, has more honor than what he built. So Jesus has more honor and glory than Moses does. And so if, if I were to sit down and work out a schematic for a house, um, and, and, and plan it out, and draw it out, and then gather other supplies, and then gather a team of people around me, uh, then execute that and build it, and I'm sitting down beside that. At the end of the day, I still have a little bit more glory than the house. I created the house. It was my idea. I executed it. And he says, we see this with, with God. All things are created by God, and he holds more honor, he holds more glory than, than creation. Scripture would say, really, this is what idolatry is. It's, it's confusing this. This idea, this principle, that the creator is higher and better than creation. I mean, what humans have done for years and years and years and years is we take creation and we worship that. And we say, forget about the creator. So we we take things, food, sex, power, ourselves, relationships. And we forget about the Creator who actually made those things, who thought of them, who designed them. And instead, we worship and place our ultimate allegiance in those things. The scripture that's idolatry. You're abandoning the Creator for the creation. He says, Jesus, he's superior to Moses in the same way that the builder is superior to the building. Continue um, packing this, unpacking this for us in verse 5. He says, Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Okay, he draws out um, the contrast between Jesus and Moses by using two words separately, differently. So look at this. Moses was faithful and Christ was faithful. There's where they are um, similar, but where they're dissimilar is this. Moses was faithful in God's house. Do you see that? Verse 5. He was faithful in God's house. Verse 6, Christ is faithful over God's house. It's a slight change there, but it holds a lot of meaning. Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant. Verse 6, Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. If you look in verse 5, he says, Moses is faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. Um, In a real sense, Moses' role uh, was, um, in in God's purposes, reached its goal in Jesus. Uh, What Moses was doing with the message he was delivering to the world and to the Israelites, a message of redemption, salvation, um, obedience and holiness, rest. Those things were just testifying to what God was planning to do in Jesus all along. To to say that Jesus is superior to Moses, to Jewish Christians who the author is writing to, is not to say we should forget about Moses or not give him honor or glory, but instead say, see him in his rightful place. Moses was not the end all of God's purposes. He was simply foreshadowing. He was pointing towards what God had been planning to do for all of eternity in Christ. When his death on the cross would be the ultimate exodus. When we're brought out of sin and death into eternal life. When his life would be God's ultimate act of love for us. When he would lead us into the promised land, into eternity. When he would give us the Holy Spirit to lead a life as his people. Moses was testifying to the things that were to come. And the difference here is that Moses was a servant in God's house. He was simply one who was doing the will of the owner. He was serving inside of God's house, inside of his purposes. Whereas Jesus was ruling over and is ruling over the house as its son, as part of the ownership. He rules over. That's the the difference here between Moses and between Jesus, which is why the the text before says that that he has much more glory than Moses. So they're both faithful. They both did what God asked them to do. But Jesus has this higher rank. He rules over God's purposes as the son. We saw in Hebrews 1, this word son um, is very special to the author of Hebrews and really to the scriptures. So 2 Samuel 7, there's this promise to David, the king at the time, that one of his sons would become God's son, would reign for forever. And then Jesus says that's Jesus. Then Psalm 2, another psalm, a song about a king who would come, who God would... Um, established over everything that existed, who God would give everything to him as his possession. God calls that king what? My son. This is the son, he says. Jesus. He is the one who's fulfilling God's ultimate purposes for creation. And then, if you keep reading, look here in um, at the end of verse 6. He says this. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and are boasting in our hope. Okay, this is a conditional sentence. Let me explain that to you. Um, American education system just failed us all right here. Uh, conditional sentence is, if this is true, then this is true. If A is true, then this is true. Here's what he said. We are his house if we hold fast. So he's saying God's house, what he's been doing... What he's been working out in history is really a community of believers. He hasn't been building buildings. He hasn't been establishing a temple. He hasn't been um, getting together these non-profits and these organizations and these corporations. Instead, he's been coming to human hearts and minds and souls and saving them, rescuing them, redeeming them to himself. So that you've got this family and community now growing and expanding. He says, we are his house. We are what he's doing in the world. If we hold fast, if we don't lose our grip, if we stay firmly connected to this faith, this confession, to our hope, to our confidence, to our boasting. He's saying here that our our part in God's salvation is confirmed with our persevering faith. So there's this beautiful truth in the scriptures that when God saves you, you are his. There's nothing you can do about it. Your salvation was never dependent on you. It was grace. It was a gift all along. And you can't lose it. It's not as if you can make a mistake somehow and then get to to heaven, get to the new heavens, the new earth at the end of of all things, and and Jesus go, oh, well, I didn't know you were going to do that. I guess I, I didn't plan on covering that on the cross. No, He died for all of our sins. Once you're His, you're His. You can't fall out of that. But the opposite truth of that is that if I can't fall out of God's love, if I can't fall out of His grasp on my life, then I won't. You tracking with me on that? If I can't fall out of His love, if I can't fall away from Him, then I won't. In a sense, he's saying here that, that the Christian life really is the test of the reality of our faith. I mean, you really want to know what your faith is like? You need to wait 10 years. See how it holds up over life. You really want to know if you had faith, probably the best time in your life to realize that is right before you die. What did your life look like? Was there actually faith There. So Mike Skinner, I can do nothing to get away from God. And the opposite truth is that the scriptures would warn me that I need to be sure not to put this thing on cruise control. Not to fall asleep at the will, but to hold fast to my faith. To cling closely to who Jesus is and what he's done for me. This is our faith. It, it's a confident faith. It's a hopeful faith. It's It's got this confidence that we, we don't... Um, We're not full of doubt and questioning and fear, but we're confident that He loves us, He died for us, that we have access to God. It's It's a faith of hope, boasting in hope. It's not a faith of despair or anguish. It's a faith that says, He has saved me and is saving me and is redeeming all of creation. That one day the present sufferings won't be worth comparing to the glory that will fill the earth. It's a faith of of confidence and a faith of hope. So here's what, what this passage is saying. Consider Jesus. Think about Jesus. Put him in your mind, his faithfulness. Just like Moses was faithful. Just like Moses accomplished God's salvation for the Israelites so long ago. He was faithful as our apostle, our high priest. His, his faithfulness was on a higher level than Moses' was. His glory is higher. as the son who rules over the house versus a servant who serves in the house. And we are his house. We are what he is ruling over. We are what he is doing in the world if we don't walk away from that confession. If we stay firm, stay true to this belief at the core of who we are, that he is God, that He died for us, that on the cross, God was fulfilling His promises to creation, to His people. Hebrews is saying here that Jesus' faithfulness is the basis of our faith. As we, as we understand and we see and we look at Jesus' faithfulness, we're spurred on to faith ourselves. So life is full of Failures and distractions. Um, it's, it's full of you and I not living up to what we should be living up to. I mean, it just is. Every single one of us. Myself included. Over and over and over again, I'm going, oh, I, I shouldn't do that. I, I, should, I, shouldn't, I should be living better than that. I should be a better example of Christ than that. I mean, it's just full of my own sin being shoved in my face. And my faith And Christ would say, repeatedly, to look at the cross and see Him absorbing that wrath on the cross so that love flows toward me from the Father. I'm saved, I'm redeemed, I'm forgiven. And then life is full of distractions. As if it wasn't enough for you and I to still be hindered by the sin that kind of entangles us. It's full of distractions, there's hurt, and there's pain all around us. I mean, whether it's job issues, or health issues, relationship issues. Global things. So I was gone for most of the week, and, and during the, the middle of the week, I, I found out Japan had been hit with an earthquake. We had a huge earthquake, tsunami. I'm just thinking, man, there's been so many earthquakes lately. And with all this death happening around the world, we, we have a choice um, to let, to either be derailed from our faith, to let distractions and pain and hurt and failure, sin, evil around us, to derail us from our faith, or to draw us nearer to Christ to lead us into a confident faith, to lead us into more and more hope. And so I hear about Japan, and I hear about the earth shaking, and nature killing, and I think that's not the way the world is supposed to work. And instead of that pushing me away from Christ, it it pushes me towards Him, because a day is coming when there won't be those things. A day is coming when there will be no pain, and no death, and no tears. And when I'm faced with my own failings, and I think there's no way God can love me or use me. My faith doesn't lead me to, to draw back from God, but to press into Him. See, on the cross, He died for me. I'm forgiven. I'm loved perfectly. You and I, I mean, as individuals, in Sugar Land, Texas, in 2011, this is what faith is. This is what the Christian life is. So this is an ancient, ancient ancient, ancient faith. this story with Moses, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years old. Even this newer passage we just read in Hebrews is thousands and thousands of years old. But the story continues with you and us. The story continues with Mike Skinner with First Colony Christian Church. God coming into the hearts of people, redeeming them, building them, Giving them faith. Telling them, hold fast. Let this confidence and this hope in who I am and what I've done let that flow out into your life. Into obedience. Into doing what I've asked you to do. Into worship. Into loving me. Returning my love for you. Into mission. Into seeing God's purposes for us. Seeing the the people and the places and the situations that he's put into our lives for us to be faithful, to be obedient in. Hebrews over and over and over again is going to say, don't be distracted. Don't get pulled off course. Consider him who is faithful and hold fast to the faith. to your confession. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for... Our time this morning I thank you for your scriptures um, I pray that we would receive who you are and what you've done um, It wouldn't just be words it wouldn't just be um, familiar to us but the fact that you died for us the fact that you are our high priest the fact that you are faithful and accomplishing God's will of redemption and salvation that those things would ignite in our hearts a passion would ignite in our hearts worship that we would be continued to built up to be built up to follow you and to serve you that tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday we would go out with confidence and boldness and hope loving you knowing that we're loved by you and ministering to the people around us taking this gospel out into the world father I pray that you'd be with our church I pray that we would consider you pray that we would hold fast to you, and I pray that you would be with us, you would be our God, and we would know you and love you. It's in your Son's precious name that we pray. Amen.